This episode is brought to you by Menard Premium Detailing, the best auto detail company in Bucks County, where convenience meets luxury. They specialize in detailing luxury vehicles, but the limits are endless. Check them out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and at MenardPremiumDetailing.com. This episode is also brought to you by Shamrock Sun. Fair-skinned folks like myself are used to getting burned, overpaying for big sunscreens, tiny tubes every other week. It adds up, and it's inconvenient. Well, now it's a thing of the past. Meet Shamrock Sun, your new big-ass bottle of sunscreen delivered by subscription. Check them out on Instagram and at shamrocksun.com. Birds win the college football playoff with Ben Simmons to the All-Star game? Here we go. go welcome back everybody it is episode 26 of thoughts from the shade hope everybody had a great christmas we're off yet another eagles win and and as we sit here this evening the philadelphia eagles are in the seventh playoff spot after a 34 to 10 win over the new york giants uh, let's welcome in my co-host the man the myth the legend bomb what's up dude how are you What's up, G? What's going on, brother? Not too much. How are you holding up over there? Hanging in there, man. Hanging in there. The birds get a get a big win. Slow start. Another slow start. The same thing they did against Washington. Can't kill them too bad because they came out and took care of business in the second half. But yeah, they got in in your words, they have everything in front of them. They still got everything in front of them. That's right. Yeah, it was a slow start. Um, really not sure why. The Eagles came out in the first half and tried to throw the ball around the yard. Like, what, six of the first seven plays uh, were Jalen Hurts' pass attempts. And you got – I think everybody in the offense had a drop on Sunday, um, you know, if I can remember correctly. But when they last played the Giants, they tried to throw it all over the yard at MetLife, and they fucking lost the game. So you would think they would come out on Sunday at the link and just ground and pound uh, one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Not the case, um, but like you said, I guess you can't get on them too hard with the short week. Uh, Sirianni was was coaching it up during the week from the hotel room out with COVID. So And, and, and the second half, um, obviously, they blew the doors off. So it is what it is, but I don't know how to feel right now. Like, I am excited. I want them to make the playoffs. I want to see a playoff game. But at the same time, like I'm just thinking, I think they've won five of six and six of eight. And it's really just been um, a result of a backloaded fourth place schedule in my eyes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, they're, they're lucky in that they have the, they have the jets on the schedule. Um, Obviously, the NFC East isn't anything great beyond Dallas, so they're able to kind of run up, run up the score, so to speak, and get their wins here at the end, playing that last place schedule that they had from uh, from last year's results. Another thing, like you hear people saying, oh, how the defense is playing well, and I think it was even Jonathan Vilma. I mean, we can get into him a little bit, and again, I'm not here for a character assassination, but I think that guy needs to. <laughs> 
needs to seek uh, alternate employment because he was just, you know, throwing a lot around on Sunday. One of the things he was talking about was how great the Eagles defense was playing and how they're, they're up, you know, in the top half of the league statistically. But if you look at the teams and, and the caliber of the quarterbacks that the Eagles are playing, like, how can you say that? He's like, yeah, well, you know, you could say Jake Fromm started and it's first NFL start and everything, but you got to give this defense credit. It's like, yeah, I guess you can give them credit, but you, you, you can't, you can't overhype it. You can't, you can't polish it for more than what it is. And that's, that's where, where do you, let me ask you something. If, if, yeah. if you're going to give them credit for locking down a Jake Fromm led offense, where does the credit stop? So, like, like, if Christian Hackenberg was the quarterback, would you still give them credit? If Jonathan Sean, Velma would. If Sean Clifford uh, decided not to come to, back to Penn State for his 10th mediocre season and, and signed with the New York Giants and played Sunday, would would we still give give them credit? We We wouldn't, obviously, but, you know, these – these people on TV, they do, and they try to sell it to you and, and polish the turd that you're watching on, on Sunday. You know, another 1 o'clock, Fox, Kenny Albert, Jonathan Vilma playing the lowly Giants. But I can't give them credit. I mean, if you were to run through the schedule, um, I think the only, like, decent quarterback that they've beat all year is Matt Ryan. and he's And, and that's really saying something because – He's at the tail end of his career on a terrible team, but every every team that that the Eagles have played that that's had a legitimate starting quarterback, they've they've gotten absolutely gashed by. Um, I guess you could say they made some stops in the the L.A. game against the Chargers, but I just I can't I can't be like giving them credit and hyping them hyping them up because we talked about it last week a little bit. I mean, this this defense can't go into Lambeau Field and and slow down Rodgers at all. Yeah, and I'm not saying there's many teams that can, but the fact of the matter is the Eagles defense loves seeing these like washed up quarterbacks or like scrubs or like really nobodies. You know, that's where the big place lays. That's where the Alex Singletons of the world feast and get there. You know, it's like it's like if you're uh you know, Bobby Abreu of like the late nineties, early two thousands, like he's not gonna do anything in like a big game that you need to win, like you know, to take over against the Mets or the Braves at the time, but he'll certainly feast against the the middle reliever for the Pittsburgh Pirates in a in a four game homestand or or series. You know what I mean? That's like literally how this defense operates. I hear you, but I got to yeah, I mean, read through. Um, I got to read through though for you on on Fromm. Sure. So I'm, I'm gonna. This is a little bonus for the listeners. If you watched that game. And watched how Fromm played quarterback. I think there's only one thing you can do this Friday. Hammer the Michigan Wolverines. If that's the type of fucking quarterbacking talent that Kirby Smart and the University of Georgia is putting out there into the universe, fucking hammer Michigan. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but but just to, to round out the birds conversation a little bit, because, I mean, you and I talked uh, Sunday, Monday after the game and, and talking about doing the pod, like it was kind of a, a boring game, a blah game. 
And, you know, you see a lot of the same issues pop up. Hurts uh, not making great reads and thrown into double coverage and missing a wide open Dallas Goddard in the corner of the end zone. Um, some some sketchy some sketchy deep balls that that Smith and Watkins were able to make some plays on. Um, Both I mean, of them should have been picked, by the way. Yeah, yeah, wasn't really a fan fan of those throws. But I mean, do, do you have do you have any takeaways from the offensive side? Yeah, I mean, I I like. I can't kill Hurts too, too much. I, I like the fact that he's willing to throw contested balls. I just don't think they're good throws. Um, you know, I think that was the, one of the reasons why Wentz didn't play well, you know, after his injury. He he seemed to have a little bit of the McNabb in him where he would hold the ball and, like, wait until a guy's open um, and wouldn't really throw many 50-50 balls. You know, you think about the Super Bowl year when he was the quarterback – he was throwing a lot of back shoulder feeds to Alshon that were covered. It just seemed like that 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 throw kind of fell out of favor. I like the fact that Hertz is is throwing the ball up and giving the young guys a chance to go get it. I still remain impressed by by Devonte. I feel like with uh, with better ball placement, with better timing, with better decision making, I mean his statistics would look a lot better. Um, but that catch that he made in you know in the corner of the end zone there up against the boundary. When's the last time we had a receiver that can do that? No, I don't think there's any any question to his his ability, and I think it's been uh, held down a little bit with with the play of the quarterback. But now, I guess m- maybe it is hurts confidence growing in him throwing these balls up. But they've got to be placed a little bit better, um, and I don't I don't know what he can do to to work on that that downfield shot because it just always feels like it's floating up in the air for about 10 seconds. And then it's, it's short and you need the receiver to make like a miraculous play. But um, yeah, I just, I just noticed a lot of the same things that, that we noticed in the building against Washington. Um, you know, the way he's processing the defense is not a, uh, not great. And, and I don't think that that really improved on Sunday, but came out in the second half and, and they ran the ball, got it done. It is what it is. Um, you know, you had Goddard dropping another ball in the first play of the game. You had Reger dropping a ball on a bubble screen. Uh, I think Miles Sanders dropped a ball early. And contrary to to the medical reports, uh, both of his hands are actually broken. <laughs> they they told us something we already knew. But uh, yeah, I mean, just just kind of mediocre all around. And I posted it to the Instagram story. The picture of the the punt return that Jalen Rager had now. Oh my God, dude! Should, should we get should we give him a little bit of credit for for that return and, and making a big splash play in the in the special teams game? Credit should have been a house call. I mean, it should have been an easy house call. I posted that picture because I saw the return and I was like, all right, that was pretty good. But the way that and and you call this all the time. I said it in real time. He throws the blinker on. The way he hit, the way he he beelines to the sideline. But like that punt return was like perfectly blocked. He had one on one with the punter, and all he had to do was run to his left. Now, not turn the blinker on and make a wide left. It's more like a uh, like a curve on a road. Like you're not making the full turn. He just had to run by the punter. There were no defenders left on the, on that side of the field, and instead. He hits the brakes, throws on the blinker, goes right to where 
to the only side of the field where there's any defenders left to avoid the punter, I guess. And I don't know, maybe he got another 15, 20 yards, um, but no chance for a house call once he made that move. And again, they're, they're, they're pumping him up. Vilma's pumping him up and I guess he, he's taking a lot of heat. So maybe understandably so, but I just, I thought that should have been an easy TD. No, I, I said it in real time. I mean, he, he he chop the minute he sees a guy in the open field that's like 15 yards away i mean he chops more than like a ninja blender like his feet start chopping he throws the right the right hand turn signal on and just makes the beeline i mean if you had the ball you run directly at the punter until you need to make a move he's at, the punter's at what the 40 and he's on the 50 he's on the logo and he's chopping yeah, I mean, even even if you can't run by the punter, can you run through the punter? I mean, you would hope so. He's a stocky little guy. You talk about his build all the time. I mean, imagine you're uh, – I don't want to be too, uh, you know, too uh, uh, nice to Rager here, so I can't give him – but imagine you're uh, an NBA basketball player, right? And Muggsy Bogues, you're on a, you're on a, a fast – it was a fast break. That punt was a fast break. You've got the ball at midcourt, and Muggsy Bogues is standing at the foul line. He he started he started dribbling and chopping his feet at literally at like half court. That's what he did. It's like, dude, take it to the cup. I hear you now, and it's easy to get on here and and say this stuff and and rip these guys, but I think. You just have to call it out for what it is because you have to you have to hone in expectations and like the, the drops and you know not returning an easy house call and stuff like that. That's what separates this team from from being pretty legit uh, and being you know a middling uh, fighting for the last wild card spot team. And and you know there's there's other issues in terms of the defense and the quarterback big quarterback question but in terms of right now and this year like if you want to win a playoff game these these are the plays that that got to be made and you know you know what's disturbing too is i really wonder what the film study looks like in in the um wide receiver room as well as you know kind of special teams here because we've been saying it for weeks that you know even when he gets the ball in time and you know in space with time to make a move, he just turns right. So, like, clearly the coaching staff must think so little of this guy's psyche that they're not telling him not to turn right because, I mean, if you're a special teams coach and you're looking at the, at the footage of that return from the All-22, don't you have to be asking about, you know, your, your returner's ability and desire to, to get to the house? Yeah, I would love to know, like, I don't know who the special teams coach is or coordinator, but him asking Rager, like, what did you see here? Or, or like, are yeah. they even asking that question? Are they worried about his psyche? And, you know, just, just pat him on the back for, for having a nice return for a while. Hey, man, nice return. This is a great – hey, I, I could – the way the way Siri, – now, Sirianni ripped uh, Hurts, which I, lo- I love in the previous game. But, like, I could see Sirianni, like, throwing that punt return up in front of the entire team. Just being like, wow, what a return here by Jalen. Hey, Jalen, way, way to go, man. You got to hope that's that's not what happened. 
But that man, I mean, Rager, Rager needs his flowers. You know, nobody can hold Rager accountable. Except for us. And and even, even even the maniac said we held him too accountable. He's worried about his his well being. <laughs> you ever heard this pod? Go work at Acme, pal. You know? It, if you're if you're too mentally fragile to 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 play for the Philadelphia Eagles, there's plenty of other jobs. Like I saw Taco Bell's hiring people to work the nine PM the one AM shift for twenty two bucks an hour. Now do I think Jalen Rager's even worth that? No. But at the very least he'd be able to uh you know, let you know when your your right hand turn signal is on in the drive through. Well, you bring up a good point talking about, you know, wages and hourly wage and whatnot, but you know, you're home for the holidays, you're you're watching the game with, with your parents and I'm watching the game with my parents and these guys are dropping these balls early in the game and they're like, and these guys are getting paid millions. Like, so if you ever think you're going too hard on some of these guys or, or you ever feel bad if they're getting booed, I don't know how you could feel so bad because you could only Google like that fake image that you send around to your buddies of you know the million dollar bank account or the five million dollar bank account like that when when they open their phone you know and they they do the little uh touch screen or the face recognition and they they open up the pnc or whatever you got it's it's six or, or seven or eight digits so it can't feel that bad no i just wanted to bring up i don't know if you had anything else on the game itself you know the play of the team do you yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't need to spend ten minutes talking about Lane Johnson scoring a touchdown. You know what I mean? Great. You know, you're up big. Lottie die. You threw a ball to a big man. Let's all talk about it for a week. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to talk talk about it for at any uh, at any length here. Although you, you did text me and, and say, uh, just just like I said in the Washington game, a big play slay getting on the field. It's building that that team morale, getting yeah, everybody I think it's involved. Yeah, thing. Yeah, you you nailed that the week before. But no, I I wanted to to talk about and if you heard it, what you thought of Jonathan Vilma, who who was on the color call on Fox on Sunday, and he was going in ad nauseum, making a comparison between Miles Sanders and Lashawn McCoy. <laughs> I mean. What's the comparison? They 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 one digit off on their their jersey. I mean, that's got to be the closest thing, right? That's I I, I totally missed that because I was I was at I was at my parents watching the game. the The volume was down, but I mean that that is so. So you're gonna compare this guy to like the Eagles' all time leading rusher. Yeah, like is Shady a Hall of Famer? If he's not a, I don't think he's an NFL Hall of Famer, but he'll probably be one of those Eagles Hall of Famers. Yeah, the, the yeah, exactly. The Eagles, you know, Eagles Hall of Fame or Ring of whatever they call it, Ring of Honor, whatever it is. I, I mean, Sanders, like, I I don't get it. Now nah, he gets so much love, but to compare him to Shady McCoy, Shady McCoy in his prime on the birds is like. A top five back in the league, no. Yeah, and and the other thing Shady McCoy did was he caught the ball out of the backfield, like they were a great screen team with McCoy. 
Yeah, I mean, some something that we haven't seen Sanders develop into, and you hear every summer how he's working on this pass catching and his pass blocking and this and that. Like, this guy can't even keep his hands on the ball when he's just running it up the gut. Um, so I, I just I just thought that that was, that was kind of disgusting. And I get it's the Eagles-Giants, and the Giants are out of it. They're playing a, a bum at QB, and there's not a lot to talk about. But, I mean – we're, we're, we're from Philadelphia. You, you can't pee on our back and, and tell us it's raining. Like, it was just – it was awful. And I'm just like, what in God's name is this guy even talking about? Like, such a reach to to compare Miles Sanders, who, you know, is padding the stats this year since he's been back with, with the great play of the O-line. But as you can see, when he goes out, Howard or Scott comes in, like, they, they do just as well, if not better. So Well, you know, you know who who Jordan Howard reminds me of? You gonna go Legarrette Blunt? I was gonna go Wilbert Montgomery. <laughs> you know who Boston Scott reminds me of? Who? Brian Westbrook. What? What do we just get when we see a guy when we hand the ball to a guy and he gets a gets a couple yards? We all of a sudden he's like compared to Eagles. I mean, what? 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 When I turn on the Giants game with Kenny Albert and Jonathan Vilma, I'm gonna hear about uh about uh what's his name uh, barkley being uh being compared to tiki barber like come on guys this is so bad yeah no that's that's all i had i mean didn't present it but i i think that uh that that earns a bone to pick of the week presented by shamrock son i i also had one with uh i wouldn't say it, it kind of it rose to the level of bone to pick of the week but how lame was that fucking stupid TV that they had behind Vilma and Kenny Albert? And they have the the U-Log. The U-Log on there as you listen to these two drone on and on. Like, come on, man. You're not in the spirit, bomb. You're, you're going Grinch bomb on us. You're not a U-Log guy? There's nothing about Kenny Albert's voice that puts you in the spirit of Christmas. And I'll just leave it at that. So true. It's so true. <laughs> So Eagles go to FedEx Field Sunday to play the Washington football team who got absolutely blasted by the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night. It, it was interesting. I think I think you texted or somebody texted and said, like, this is what the Eagles should have done to this team on Tuesday night. Yeah, 100%. And keep in mind, Washington had their quarterback back. And Dallas did that. You know, the Eagles played against Garrett Gilbert. In the words of Brent Musburger, young Gilbert. Young Gilbert. I mean, that's that's the thing that worries me is I, I could not to look ahead to, to this week, this coming week and kind of week week eighteen, but when you're playing bad teams, you gotta get up early and put put your foot right on their neck. And Dallas did that. I, I just haven't seen the Eagles do that. And when you're when you leave a team when you let a team stick around and maybe you couple it with a bad break or a bad penalty or a bad turnover. Yeah, that's where you can really get burned. For sure. And that's why I kind of feel like I, I don't love this Washington game for the Eagles. Like a team that had the had the tough game at the link. You know, we, we played them. We beat them. And, you know, granted all the crazy external factors with that game, COVID and the Tuesday night and them playing a third-string quarterback and everything. But – then they get their guys back. They go down to Jerry World short week and get their doors absolutely blown off. Like they're they're going to get back into a normal week. And 
although you know the outlook may be a little bleak, they're not. I don't think they're officially eliminated from playoff contention, so they're going to have something to play for. And like you said, we have we haven't stepped on anybody's throat from the jump in any game. I think the only game I can really think of this year where we did that was the Detroit game, uh, and we know what they are. So I put I, I posted to the to the Instagram story. Uh, I think it was Monday. The Eagles' odds to make the playoffs was minus two hundred. And after the loss by the Saints on Monday night, it, it jumped up to minus 250. So, you know, the odds makers like the Eagles to make the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they fucked it up and didn't make the playoffs. No, and I, I would say the one thing that caused some consternation on my end would be uh, in that Washington and Dallas game. The, uh, you know, and the media made a big thing about it, but the two guys fighting on the sideline. Like, doesn't that feel like the perfect segue to like an upset victory to kind of like knock off the Eagles? Like these guys have so much heart that they're fighting each other on the sideline. And we got, you know, and they, and then we got to get in and play them on their shitty field in Washington. It's It's not like it was two bums either. Yeah. Two good players. there going at it. Still caring, working hard. I mean, two good players, both college teammates. You know, they came out and said, you know, this is what Ron Rivera even said, you know, we're like brothers. This is what brothers do. You fight, you know, and like, man, that kind of scares me a little bit. They're going to show some fight next week. I really think they will. And, you know, everybody says nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Well, I don't think many people circle the wagons like Ron Rivera. And I think you said that to me when we sat down at the link for the Tuesday night game. Yeah, that game was way too close. Like, Ron Rivera, like, say what you want about him. Obviously, they had the year where they went to the Super Bowl and lost. But, like, even in years where they, they weren't great, like, I think they won the division. They won the NFC South, like, at 7-9. and nine. I'm not mistaken. I think they won a playoff game that year. Like, the guy, like, gets, no matter the record, no matter, it just seems like they're always a tough out. And... I could I could totally see Rivera just orchestrating a, a big upset victory here on Sunday. Or at the very least keeping it keeping it within the number. I don't even know what the number is, but anybody thinking this is gonna be a repeat of what Dallas did to the to the Redskins on, on Monday night has another thing coming. This is gonna be a hard fought game. Yeah, the number is is Eagles minus four at the moment. <laughs> what does that tell you? I mean I mean, the team, the team that, that just got beat by the Birds on Tuesday night and then the team that got absolutely embarrassed, 56-14, uh, to 14, I believe it was the final, so they lost by 40-plus points, and, and the Eagles are only laying four, a team that's won five of six and is apparently roll, you know, rolling and just, just got that seventh playoff spot. That, that, that tells me Washington, honestly. Yeah, they're begging you to take the Eagles there. I mean, that line really should be closer to six and a half or seven, I would think. Yeah, if they felt the Eagles were going to win. But yep. um, speaking of the Eagles' playoff chances, uh, Zach Berman tweet here Tuesday. What will it take for the Eagles to clinch the playoffs this Sunday? Obviously, they would have to win. A Vikings loss at Green Bay, which is p- possible, very possible. And either a San Francisco win at Houston or a Saints loss at Carolina. And what was your initial reaction to that news bomb? Yeah, my initial reaction is that the the hardest 
or the longest part of that parlay is going to be the Eagles win. <laughs> I mean, Houston just upset. Um, who did they play? The Chargers. They upset the Chargers. So, I mean, I think we can all count on San Francisco beating them. I, I don't think Rodgers is going to drop one against the Vikings. They're, they want to lock up that number one seed. So then, you know, basically look at it. It comes down to the Eagles getting out of getting out of Landover with a dub. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that, that tweet might come back to haunt some people. Yeah, we'll, we'll save it for a later day if, uh, you know, if this is the beginning of the end. But San Francisco win or Saints loss at Carolina. I mean, I was watching the Monday night game. Ian Book back there out of your favorite team. I mean, he, uh, he took a beating. I saw a statistic. That Notre Dame quarterbacks are O for their last 24 in NFL starts. Holy shit. The last win was Brady Quinn, I believe, for the Browns in like 2012. I mean, that's so think about like Deshaun Kaiser, terrible bum. Now, in fairness, most of these guys played for Cleveland. So I mean, that that says something. Maybe, maybe Cleveland ought to just stay away from Notre Dame quarterbacks. But Ian Book, my God, tough, tough uh, welcome to to the NFL. I mean, I don't think anybody thought he was anything special. He wasn't special in college. He, you know, he did his he did his part, and and they won a lot of games with him. But you know, I don't I don't think that's a uh, I don't think anybody was expecting him to be like the next guy there. You know, no, absolutely not. It's a good point. But what uh, about what about can we talk about the bro- that broadcast like Riddick? I mean. Come on, man. Ian Book's not going to be judged on this game. Really? Ian Book was a, pretty much a guy picked up off the street to, to just to take some snaps in this game so they could actually play the actual game. <laughs> I mean, you got, you got Greasy, who's critical as all hell of, uh, of Tua and, and the Dolphins offense. Now, you know, I saw something interesting last night, a statistic that kind of caught me off guard. You know, we're all yucking it up, laughing and yucking it up when when the Dolphins trade traded uh traded us that first round draft pick to uh you know to go get their receiver Waddle, right? You know how many catches that guy has? I think he's close to a hundred, isn't he? Yeah, he's about to break the rookie record in the same and not because it's an extended season. Like he missed a game. He's gonna break it like before week eighteen. Like he's going to have well over a hundred catches. So, you know, you compare and contrast that to Smith, who I think is, I think a more technically sound receiver. Waddle maybe has better speed and obviously the Eagles are a running offense, but I think, you know, it goes to show you, you know, two was able to get the ball out and into his playmakers hands and maybe hurts not, not, not quite as well. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was watching it pretty closely. I think another stat they threw out, too, was uh, for Waddle. First rookie wide receiver to have 10 or 11 catches on Monday Night Football. The last one was Jerry Rice, I want to say, in 86. So pretty impressive wow. stuff from him there. Yeah, we were all yucking it up. Oh, my God, they took Waddle. They took Waddle. I mean, he's just as sick, like you said. Not as technical, I don't think, as Devontae, but, I mean, Still, still an absolute beast. I mean, what a, what, what a, uh, what a barn they have down there, at Bama, huh? Just, what? just stud after stud. Must have been really tough being Mac Jones thrown to those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is, 
That is unbelievable. But uh, speaking of the the bad record for the Notre Dame QBs in uh, in the NFL recently, I'm working on a on a bad record and and turning it to a good record myself. I'm on I mean, a little I bit. I don't know. I don't know if we're quite there yet. What are we talking about? I'm on a little bit of a heater, man. <laughs> I, I want to say four or five in a row. I'm looking. I'm looking down at the screen right now. I got Air Force, Louisville on, uh, in the first responder bowl. Air Force is up in the third quarter, 28-14. I got Air Force in that game. So I'm looking at five or six in a row after a one and thirteen start in the uh, the first ever thoughts from the shade college football pick 'em pool. You're like a sixty or seventy win major league baseball team that. Uh... That sweeps a homestand in like late August, you know, right, 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 right before the rosters expand. You know, the guys are trying to figure out like, oh, am I gonna, am I gonna still get playing time? They get a little hot. They maybe win six of seven or seven of eight in the homestand. The rosters expand, and then the, the management just decides to play all the young guys, and they, they finish off the season with like sixty-eight wins. So at best, you're saying I'm building momentum for next year. Yeah, I mean, this is this is. This is not this. All this is this is a mirage. This is this is so you go in the next year, Labor Day weekend with all the big games and it'll be, you know, Clemson or Georgia or whoever the hell's playing. And you'll you'll feel like you're finally back. It's a new season. I I closed on a high note. and It'll be it'll be a fucking bloodbath. Yeah, I had the infamous 0 and 5 on championship weekend, and I think I, I think college football week one I had I went one and four I want to say, and I think I started one and nine or one and eleven, yeah, uh, in college football from week one, and then started the the bowl pool uh, one and thirteen, but we're working on that. A lot, lot a lot of ball left, but it doesn't help that some of these bowl games are getting canceled. <laughs> Look, if you want if you want me to just give you the win for the games that are canceled, I don't even think you'd come close to like forty percent. Commissioner Bomb, get in there. <laughs> Jig it up. No, but we're we're in the heart of bowl season now. I mean, we're past all the uh, you know, the Mac teams and the the shit teams, so to speak. Um and, and we're really hitting the uh the, the big conferences and Friday we got the college football playoff. Um so I just wanted to talk about that a little bit, maybe a little preview, get your thoughts, Bomb. I don't know if you're Willing to share a pick or two with the people, um, you know, might be a little bit of a conflict of interest uh, with the bowl pool and the selections there. But um, well, three thirty—I don't know that anybody's looking for our picks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're both at the bottom of the barrel right now, but I'd say we're about halfway through the bowl games now. Um, so a little, little bit of work to do for us, but it's gambling, folks. You can get hot, you can get cold, and. You know, we're, we're, we got our picks in. We're going to pick them. We're going to watch them. So let's talk about them. First semifinal game on Friday, New Year's Eve, down at Jerry World at the Cotton Bowl. The Cincinnati Bearcats taking on the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, Alabama is currently a 13.5-point favorite. Total sitting at 57.5. Um, bomb. I mean, what are your thoughts on the game, dude? And you know I love Cincinnati. This scares me, man. This is a this is a tough spot to be in. The number does the number seem off to you? I kind of hate the number. Um, yeah. Because I 
I think the number makes me want to take Alabama. 100%. But betting Cincinnati just doesn't feel right either. So like, maybe, so then maybe they did a good job with the number, um, you know, at least for uh, schmucks like us. I don't know what the pros think about this number, but it feels like you want to hammer Bama, and it feels like you know they're up 17 or 20 like late in the game, and it's been decided, and Cincinnati just stuffs in a, a garbage time TD to to get it to 13, and if you're on Bama, you get jobbed. Yeah, um, I mean, remember what happened last year against Notre Dame? I mean, within the blink of an eye, they were up, they were they were up, and you know, it's just uh, it's one of those things where that that stuff snowballs. I feel like like Bama gets up and the fucking pom poms are waving and the you know the goofy mouth breathers are screaming about the SEC and that stuff can snowball. But I'll tell you, I'm going with Cincinnati. I think uh, I've ridden them all year. I'm gonna take the points. Their running back is a, is a Bama transfer. I think he's gonna run hard against this this defense. He's got something to prove. He he left the program and went to Cincinnati. It's not like they're going up. It's not like they're throwing a, a young quarterback up there against Bama's defense. Ritter's a a guy who's been in the program. Um, I think he's a super senior now or a fifth year guy. Um, and, and and I think it all comes down to Cincinnati's defensive approach. Fickle obviously is a defensive guy. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. I'd love to see him do um, what Belichick did to the Bills in the Super Bowl when he was the DC of uh, of the Giants. You know, just come out in a front that that the other team has just never seen before. Play a totally different defense and see, you know, what what needs to be done in order to keep keep Bama off off the board, or at least make make Bryce Young kind of dink and dunk the ball down the field. Because I think he's got a little bit too much of a swashbuckler approach. He's a young guy, young QB, first year starting. I think Ritter is more likely to take what the defense gives him compared to Young. And if and if they can kind of make Young take take it in in small chunks versus the big chunk plays, I think they have a chance to you know stay within the number and potentially win the game at the end of the game. The point about mixing up the front or, or the looks for for the Cincinnati defense is a good one because. When I when I look at this game or think about this game and you just think about Nick Saban having what like the better part of a month to prepare for a team and obviously he's probably the greatest college football coach of all time. It, it it's a scary thought. So you you if you're fickle, you you have to be creative. Um you got to do some different things. I've heard a ton on ESPN and you know, as they talk these games up about the Cincinnati secondary, um, and their defense has been impressive overall. You know, all year. Um, granted, the the competition in the American, which is actually shining pretty well in the uh, the bowl games compared to the SEC, who's zero and three in the early going here. But um, I don't know. It, it's it's still tough. I mean, just the the class of the athletes at Alabama is. Unlike anywhere else, um, you got no John Mechie blew his knee out in the SEC yep. championship, but they still have Jameson Williams, another stud. Um, I mean, they're stacked. We've talked all year about, you know, they're two, three, four deep could could be probably anybody in the country too, uh, which is scary. But I really like the point about Ritter. Um, 
you know, he's played a lot of games. He's played in, in tough environments, out of conference games, went into, uh, you know, Notre Dame and beat the Irish at South Bend on the road this year. Um, so, you know, this team feels, the Cincinnati team feels like they're, they're battle tested. Um, and, and that, that, you know, they're not going to be rattled by anything. Cause you see a lot of these teams in these playoff games, like you think about when Washington got in, um, and you know, you can tell within the first five minutes of the game that they're just completely rattled. And, you know, it's like they've seen, they're seeing something that they've never seen before. I think fickle and Ritter and the Bearcats, you know, are, uh, humble enough and, and seasoned enough to not get overwhelmed and to play a decent game. And I think the line is telling you that. So I'm with you. I'm going to, I'm going to take Cincinnati, take the points, root for a close game. Um, you know, hopefully that defense can hold against Bama and because outside of the Georgia game and SEC championship, the, the Alabama offense is, has had points of the season where it struggled and Cincinnati's got a great defense like we talked about. And you made the point about Ritter. He, he's more likely to take what, what they give him, not turn the ball over. That's obviously going to be huge. So um, I'm kind of looking for a little bit more of a low-scoring game. If Cincinnati's going to stay in it, that's what they'll need. I'm going to take Cincinnati in the points. No, I, I like it. You know, the other thing that's interesting, and if I was, if I was fickle, I'd be, I'd be talking a lot about this. You know, Notre Dame when they played Alabama last year, they lost they lost that game on on a neutral field, thirty one to fourteen. And that team had what three first round starters on offense? Najee Harris. No, sorry. Well, I guess did Waddle play? I think he did play in that championship game. I think he played, but I think he played, but he was hobbled. Mac Jones, if memory serves me correctly. Yeah, I think so. he was like putting his career. I was like, what are you doing, dude? Just go get the bag. Um, so you have Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddle on the field playing against Notre Dame. Notre Dame lost that that game by 17 points, 31 to 14. All things considered, when you realize what these guys now are doing in the league, not a terrible, terrible score. But. I mean, Najee Harris, a guy who's a pounder, a thumper. He can run away from you. He can run through you. Notre Dame, or Notre Dame, Alabama's running game this year with this kid Robinson, I think he stinks. You know, you got, I don't know if it's because of the line or, or what. Obviously, they lost, uh, you know, our guy Dickerson here. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, whereas, you know, after what we saw Alabama do to Notre Dame in like 2012 when Manti Teo was on the field and, he was dealing with the fallout of the fake girlfriend, and you saw, was it Eddie Lacy running through? I mean, they were, like, running through teams. Like, the Alabama run game does not scare me this year, and maybe I'm going to regret saying it right now, but, like, if they can stiffen against the run in key moments and and uh, and and make, make Young kind of just march the ball down the field, I think they have a chance. So if I'm fickle, back, back to my point, if I'm fickle, I threw up that score. Notre Dame lost this game 31 to 14 on a neutral field against four first round guys on 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 uh on offense. We went into Notre Dame and literally like controlled controlled that game. So I'm selling the point. We're better than Notre Dame. We beat the shit out of them. Alabama's not as good as they were last year. They're no fucking boogeyman. Let's go in there and beat these motherfuckers. Yeah, we belong here. That's that's kind of that's gotta be the message. And 
We talked about it all year. We talked about our rankings. I, I, I think Cincinnati does belong there. Did they get the worst draw that they, they could have asked for? Probably. Um, but no, I'm with you on the Alabama run game. It's not the same. The O-line has struggled at times during the year. And, I mean, Bryce Young won the Heisman, and, and he had some great moments. But, I mean, to you, did he feel like, you know, your typical electric, like not uh, unstoppable, like Heisman winner? Because to me, it, it didn't really feel that way this year. No, I mean, Smith was an unstoppable electric Heisman winner. You know, the year, the year Jameis won it and they won the Natty, he was a clear guy. You know, Johnny Menzel, clear guy. But from a quarterback perspective of a team that won an SEC championship, I, I wasn't uber impressed by by uh, by Young. And, and in fact, I think the reason why I won it was because so many of the guys that played well and were in the Heisman conversation were not not quarterbacks. Agreed. So we'll look forward to that one. 3.30 Friday, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl. And by the way, like if, if, uh, I'll close on this point, like if Cincinnati loses by like three touchdowns, you know, you know, the, the, the narrative from ESPN, should they have even been there? Of course they should have been there. What did Bama just do to, uh, to, to Georgia? Um, but I, I think it'll be a game, and I think like what we saw today with Houston knocking off Auburn. SEC's weak this year, and uh, it's not like Bama just lit everybody up. They had some tough wins. Nah, for sure. We'll see what happens. Friday, 3.30, Bama-Cincy, one verse four in the first semifinal matchup of the college football playoff. The second matchup of the college football playoff is between number two, Michigan and number three, Georgia in the orange bowl in Miami, Georgia, currently a seven and a half point favorite. The total sits at 45 and a half. That game is at seven 30, uh, you know, right after the Bama Cincinnati game bomb. You talked about Michigan earlier and Georgia quarterbacks. I mean, what do you see in this game? Seven and a half scares me. Um, doesn't it feel like this should be closer to nine or ten? I'm not sure, honestly. I mean, I like Georgia. Like, I'm just going to come out and say it. Like, I like Georgia. They they lost the game. Um, you know, they have a great defense. I don't think Michigan has a dynamic offense. You know, they've been a little more, bit more creative with Gaddis and the passing game. And sure, that works against your Iowas and your Penn States and, you know, the, the Big Ten teams of the world. But, yes, Georgia got gashed by Bama in the SEC title game, but but they still have one of the best defenses in the country. And all that stuff that Michigan has been able to incorporate into their offense through the air comes from the success on the ground. And I'm just not sure if they're going to be able to find that success on the ground against the Georgia defense. Um, and... I'm not super high on the Georgia offense either, and Michigan's defense is good, but I just think um, the athletes, you know, the interior, the, the O-line of Georgia uh, has enough to to push around the D-line of Michigan, which is their strength. Um, I, I don't see Michigan scoring a lot in this game, and I, I think Georgia will do enough to cover the number and get the dub. Wow, so you're on, you're on the dogs. Yeah, I'm on the dogs. And I, I just think, the, I mean, you also have to factor in that they're off the, the first and only loss of the year. Like, 
if they go in and beat Bama, they're riding high, they're they're feeling themselves. Well, no, they just got punched in the mouth. They they just got embarrassed. You know, everybody talk, was talking about how it was their year, and they're finally doing it. And and even you said, and I'm not getting on you, but you know, you, you said, could this be you know the the passing of the torch in the SEC, and Georgia becoming the top dog? No, they 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 went out uh, in Atlanta and, and got absolutely embarrassed and. I think they're humbled, and you know they got back to work. I think they come out and play a really strong game against Michigan. Wow, uh, I'm on the other side. I like I like Michigan. I'm going to take the points. I wish it was closer to nine or ten, but I'm going to take the seven and a half. And I think there's a chance they went outright. Um, I think there's a couple variable here, variables here that are in play, at, at, you know, right now compared to the regular season. So we talked ad nauseum. Um, a few months ago about Georgia's schedule, how they really haven't played anybody. Really, the first team they played was Bama. Um, Clemson was was pretty bad this year. But you got to remember, too, their defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning, took the uh, HC job out at Oregon. He didn't leave. He's still calling the plays and calling the defenses. And he was interviewed earlier this week, and they were asking him how he was balancing both jobs. Oregon has been dealing with a ton of decommits from their their recruiting uh, side of things. So, like, this guy is, like, splitting duty. Basically, he's working on Eastern time, 9 to 5, on uh, Georgia matters. And then once the clock hits 5.01, he's working up till 5 o'clock, you know, on the Oregon side of his business. And I, j- I just don't think you can you can operate – I don't think you can operate at a high level in a pressure cooker situation, splitting your time um, in that manner. So I think they're, they're, they they could very well have some issues on defense. Their defense has been great this year, but you know I, I would like to see a guy that's all in. Either say you know I'm not going to do anything Oregon related until the season's over, or just fucking leave, dude. Let the let let your assistant like take over. So that that's that's concern number one. This uncertainty on what's going on defensively, schematically from leadership. Point number two, the issue I have with Georgia is the uncertainty of quarterback. Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett um, obviously has been their guy all year long. You know, the fans really have been clamoring for JT Daniels. JT Daniels just cleared COVID protocols. He'll be available for the game. Um, but their offensive coordinator basically made it sound like there may be an opportunity for uh, JT to get some playing time in the Orange Bowl. So, you know, the old adage, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one quarterback. Um, I worry a little bit about, you know, that team's confidence in big moments, in big situations. You got your defensive coordinator who's semi-checked out. You have an offensive coordinator who, you know, commits to his starter in Stetson Bennett, but also mentions that now that JT's out of COVID protocols, he could he could see some time. And... You know, you have to wonder, like, how quickly would they pull the plug on somebody like a Stetson Bennett? Like, you know, would they would they do it at halftime? Would they would they do it, you know, in the middle of the first half? Because uh, I can tell you that that's really the talk of Athens right now is is what what they're going to do at quarterback, not only for this game but for the Natty. I mean, um, so a lot of concern. And I look at I look at Michigan. I don't have those same concerns. I see a guy in Harbaugh who. You know, we've always talked about being unable to to win the big one. Um, obviously, against Ohio State, they got it done. He's been in a Super Bowl before, narrowly lost. I don't think they get blown out. I think they stay inside the number. I think they cover. 
and they could very well win. So I'm going to sprinkle a little bit on the money line, but but my bet is going to be Michigan with the seven and a half. I mean, after hearing that, what we really have here in the Orange Bowl is a matchup of two teams that historically or, or recently haven't won the big game. I mean, Michigan beat Ohio State finally this year, but I, I've mentioned at length on this podcast that the next big game Georgia wins will be the first. But I don't necessarily think that that this is that one. I think it's maybe a championship rematch with Bama yep. where, where they get embarrassed again and, and don't get over the hump again. Um, but luckily, this Orange Bowl is sponsored by Capital One which sponsored your fraud alert with uh, the Buffalo Bills a few weeks back. So we got the Capital One Orange Bowl with two fraud teams. Yeah, two fraud teams. We got Capital One uh, as the lead sponsor. So um, who knows? I mean, we could get we could get a, a fraud alert here before the end of the game or at the end of the game. But I'm hoping this is a good one. I mean, you got you got a strong run game from Michigan running up against a stout defense that was exposed a bit by Bama in the past game. You know, what's Michigan going to do? Are they going to try to run into that front seven, or are they going to try to maybe dial up some play action early, maybe some screen game to kind of keep that front seven at bay uh, so later on they can run the ball? It's going to be interesting to see the cat and mouse there between Gaddis and Lanning. Yeah, that's that's my biggest thing in this game is Georgia's defense was exposed by a team that is pretty good through the air. I mean, pretty pretty good, pretty elite through the air, and I just don't think that's that's Michigan's bread and butter. Um, so that, that, that's what leads me to believe that the Michigan offense might struggle a little bit on Friday. Yeah, they very well could. I mean, what's, what's the total? Is it 45, 45 and a half? Yeah, it's pretty low. I mean, that's kind of screaming under now. Absolutely. Nah, I mean, that's, that's really all I have. I'm looking forward. Hopefully it's a, it's a good, uh, Hopefully it's a good a good set of games here. I think it's it's great having it on New Year's Eve. Um, just buckle in and 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 uh, and watch the games and you know, hopefully we get two entertaining games and hopefully we get a. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but I don't I don't feel the need to watch Bama and Georgia play again. No fucking way. That's the last thing that I want to see. Um, I guess just after going over the games and you're on Cincy, I'm on Cincy. You're on Michigan, I'm on Georgia. Um, you know, we've both been, uh, been wrong a lot this year. So nothing would surprise me really in these games. I mean, obviously I'd be surprised if Cincinnati like dominated Bama. Um, I'd be a little surprised if Michigan really blew the doors off of Georgia, but would anything surprise you in, in these bowl, in these, uh, playoff games? Would anything surprise me? Would any, would anything surprise you that that might actually happen? I mean, a Cincy Michigan championship would surprise the hell out of me. I mean, the smart play here is if you're a gambler that wants to take money, you you just don't bet against the SEC teams in the semis or the, you know what I mean? You just take Bama and Georgia and close your eyes. But I never claim to be a smart gambler. I'm betting with my heart. Um, I would be, I would be, I would be surprised if Cincinnati came out and controlled the game against Bama the same way that they did Notre Dame. Like I, you know what this feels more to me like? It feels it feels more like when Boise State played against Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl, where Boise needed a couple trick plays at the end of the game. They ran a hook and ladder. 
took it to the crib to tie the game, got in overtime and like rolled the dice with Chris Peterson. Like it feels and, and that's not since he's styled or not a a run and gun or or, or a, uh, you know, an offense like like that. But it feels like they're going to need some tricks up their sleeve, whether it's an onside, you know, like the Sean Payton onside kick in the Super Bowl like they and fickle like I he strikes me as the kind of guy who. You know. Is going to take some chances because I don't think they can play straight up and beat and beat Bama. Like I think there's got to be a wrinkle. There's got to be a trick up their sleeve, and I feel like if he's able to just throw down the gauntlet with a trick play or a, or a trick strategy or some sort of a call in a big moment, like a Philly special type thing. I mean, talk about just a legend growing in a, in a, in a small college. I mean, Fickle can basically just just write a number in in the checkbook. Cincinnati pulls out the dub outright. We might have a uh, a new name for the quarterback of the Bearcats if it's if it's like a Statue of Liberty, like a uh, like Boise State back in the day. We might have Riverboat Ritter. Oh, baby! Yeah, no, I just I just asked because you never know what's what's going to happen in these games, and the old cliches expect the unexpected, but. Now, looking forward to it. Hopefully, r- really hoping we don't get a Georgia-Bama championship because that's, like you said, that's one I don't need to see again. That's one you don't need to see again. That's one I don't think a lot of people want to see again, but with the exception of the SEC honks. Yeah, and if you lose your money on, on New Year's Eve betting on Michigan or Cincinnati and uh, neither one of those teams cover and neither one of those teams advance, you know what you do? You know. Championship game, you just bet the crib on Alabama. Just an easy get back. Yeah. Speaking of get back, uh, I know I know we finished the Eagles, but did you see the get back guy for, for Sirianni on Sunday? No. Dude, he had a little bit of a get back guy. It was just like some guy in a polo, like short sleeves, and it's like cold as hell outside. He's got like a short sleeve polo on and like the wristband, like he's a uh, like a wrestling official. You know how they have like the red and the green yeah. for the for for a wrestling match. So he had that guy, and I guess I'm trying to think what the calls were. There, there was a couple of questionable calls. I want to say it was early in the game because obviously it wasn't much of a game in the second half. But um, Sirianni was super hot, and I think he's got a get back guy. So I think that where did the genesis of the get back guy conversation come from? Was it the James Franklin punt on third down? Yes. Where I said if I if I was him, like the get the get back, like the get you need like ten get back guys. So Sirianni's got a get back guy. It looked that way to me on Sunday. Now, how do you feel knowing that your head coach up at Happy Valley doesn't have a get back guy? Like that's concerning. He doesn't have enough juice. He doesn't have enough fire to take on the officiating. No, he's too soft. The get Sirianni's dude. That's a hell of a job. Imagine putting that on a resume. I was Nick Sirianni's get back guy. <laughs> yeah, that saying get back just just made me think of that because I, I I did see it. I, I took note of it, so I we'll have to keep an eye out for it down the road. Maybe the Eagles make the playoffs and he, he gets really hot in January and, and we see the get back guy. <laughs> awesome. Anything else you want to get to tonight? No, I mean, uh, no, I mean, we're we're just gearing up. Do 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 we want to pick Sunday? You want to pick the Eagles game Sunday? Yeah. Go ahead. Line was what four? Line's four. 
Taking the skins money line. <laughs> you had to ask, huh? <laughs> or I or I had to ask. <laughs> yeah. That dude, that's how it feels. That's how it feels. I mean that everything's going right in the in the win loss column, but the slow starts and just just the the fuck aroundery of, of the way the Eagles have been playing lately. It's just like, man, it's going to bite them in the ass one of these weeks. And what better time than when you really crush the soul of the Philly faithful? That's right. So why not make a little money off of the crushing of the soul? Yeah. Usually I just get my soul crushed either way, but be a good emotional uh, divestment there. I don't think I have anything else to get to. Flyers are back Wednesday. NHL's been off with with COVID. We found out the NHL isn't going to the Olympics this year. Um, we got baby Ben uh, ploying, or his agents are bl- ploying for him to uh, to be in the NBA All Star game. Even wait, 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 wait! No way! I, I this is the first to, I've heard of this. I had to throw I had to throw this out there. I know we haven't really talked to Sixers and in a fucking All Star game. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I heard a report. Um, I guess Rich Paul put something out on Twitter to uh, to vote Ben Simmons into the NBA All-Star game. Oh, dude, we should vote him in just to make a complete mockery of the sport that is be- NBA basketball. Yeah. I Like, I'm just kind of speechless. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, detached. From from the NBA and, and the Sixers at this point, and I, I just don't I don't really care. Um, but it's just a, a complete clown show that something like that would even even happen. I mean the the ownership is so soft. The fact that like this is even a narrative that this guy can be voted in. Like we know that he bought what a seventeen million dollar house out in, out in L A. We know he's we know he's driving these uh, expensive cars, Lambos, etc. I mean, how was he making the payments on the on these these things? I mean, if I was the Sixers, I'd be reaching out to the bank with which he financed these purchases, and I would tell the repo guy, I'd say, "Listen, pal, when when it's about time to repossess Ben's cars, give us a call. We'll cover everything, and in fact, we'll show up with a '76ers 18 wheeler, and we'll show baby Ben's car getting wheeled right up the back as we repossess his fucking possessions." I mean, there's just no, there's no uh, vindic, there's not enough vindictiveness from the Sixers. It's just like we're just gonna talk about what we talk about off the court. Oh, we're gonna talk about criminal justice reform. How about like contract reform? How about like the fact that you're paying a guy who doesn't show up to work? No, I'm with you, and it's just it's uh, it's just unbelievable to me that. You know, and I don't know how this is all going to transpire and come together, but like, I don't think the people of Philadelphia would be voting Ben Simmons in, but like, you know, the LeBron honks and the clutch sports honks and the Rich Paul honks, like, he might get enough clicks to get him in. So, like, does, do all of his issues, you know, his mental inability to play basketball, does that just dissolve if he gets enough clicks on Twitter and, uh, you know, get, gets elected to the All Star game? He can play in that basketball game. Well, I was told by Sixers fans that Ben Simmons was a uh, all-pro defender, and that's why he's an all-star. But they don't play defense in the all-star game. All they do is shoot and donk and this and that. So we know Simmons refuses to do any of that. Um, 
Is it still East West or do they do that bullshit stuff now with the uh, captains? Yeah, I think they draft the, the NBA All-Star teams. I'll vote for Ben under the condition that Trey Young has to guard him the entire game. Would love to see that again. I am I'm actually gonna fire up the the laptop and fire in as many votes for Ben as possible. I I, I need this like I need air to breathe. You All think, right, so, so let's you think let's, he would show up. Oh yeah, he would show up. <laughs> Absolutely. He's an egomaniac. Dude, wh- what what planet are we living on where you don't show up to work and you want to be recognized as the fucking employee of the year? What jersey would he wear is the real question. Because I think they all wear like their actual team jerseys and it's just home and away or they make like funky colors for the All-Star game. Oh, it'd be so funny to see what he did. He'd probably request like an Australian flag or something. Oh, my God. LSU or. Yeah, he's. The fact that his age, I mean, imagine, imagine you were paying your agent millions of dollars to give you the advice that this guy Rich Paul is giving you. He's basically told you don't show up to work, and now he's he's campaigning for you to be an all star. At some point, you have to question like who it is you have working for you, right? Yeah, well, these, these guys don't care. It's it's all about it's all about it. All goes back to Baby Brown, the kid from Akron. Just a kid. Just a kid from Akron. All right, I'm done with that. You done with that? Yeah, I can't wait to vote. I want to troll Sixers. Listen, if you're a listener to this pod, you know we're anti-Baby Ben. But it's time to unify. It's time to vote Ben in. It's time to give Ben his flowers. I'll tell you why. Because we have to put the processors in their place. The pick swappers, the processors, the teeny boppers, the crop toppers, the Wentz worshippers. They're all the same. The BCI beers. The BCI beers. The Fultz fellas. We need to vote Ben in and make a mockery of all of these people who support these losers. So if you're with me, go online. I'm going to look it up. How to do it. How do I do it? I have no idea. I've never once voted in an NBA All-Star game. But I'm going to find a way to vote the maximum amount of times for baby Ben Simmons. Hang on, I'm trying to look up right now how you can vote. I also want to see if there's a hashtag because I want to make sure I'm getting the hashtag right here. Um, if it's if it's hashtag vote Ben. Uh, so it's Clutch Sports Group Twitter account RT. So retweet the Clutch Sports Group RT to vote for hashtag NBA All Star at Ben Simmons 25. So there's no hashtag vote Ben. It's just hashtag NBA All Star. At Ben Simmons. Let's get him in. Is that Twitter? Like you, you can't vote online? I'm just looking at an article that has the tweet. While you're looking for that, I'll I'll round us out, wrap us up. Yep. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Hope everybody had a great Christmas. Would like to wish everybody a happy and safe and healthy new year. Um, shout out to Shamrock Sun shout out to Menard Premium Detailing our sponsors enjoy the college football playoff games enjoy the rest of the bowl games enjoy the Eagles game on Sunday we'll be back to talk about it see what happens we'll talk to you next week peace peace